Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. Innate construction software transforms the way owners, contractors, and engineers manage projects and programs. With Innate, you get an integrated project controls platform that solves challenges in every phase of the capital project lifecycle. These are field-tested solutions that give stakeholders the information they need to minimize risk, improve operational efficiency, and control project costs. Innate, transforming the way the world builds. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. Project Chatter is sponsored by JustDo.com. JustDo.com is a cutting-edge next-gen project management portfolio platform which doesn't force you into a project structure or hierarchy. Think of it as the Minecraft of project management systems with integrated task-based chat, Gantt, Kanban, and much more. It's the only 21st century real-time platform available today. In this episode, we spoke to our friend Chirag Shah about the post-pandemic project controls and job market. Um, how was it for you, mate, having an old friend back? No, it was great. It was great. Look, Chirag's got 17 years experience, Val. Um, he wow. certainly displayed that with what he was talking about. Um, he spoke everything about skills, what's happening in the sector, CVs, how to prepare for interviews, you know, the way the markets are heading, um, all sorts. And I don't know if we can do it justice by picking out specifics, but we'll try. So what, 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 what can you pick out? I think we, we circled around, you know, what makes a good candidate. Um, we talked about how to prepare yourself and uh, the skills gap and the education gap and how that's having an impact, not just on the UK, but the rest, the rest of the world post pandemic and what to say and how to say it. Communications was a theme, I think of this one, but it was a really good pod with, uh, with Chirag. Yeah, and we also found out that we're a lost cause because we neither the tech guru or the people manager. So I think we're screwed. Yeah, anyway, yeah. look, folks, we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave it there. As we say, keep listening, keep liking, and keep paying it forward. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always good to have you with us. And we have Dale with us today. How are you, Dale? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, not too much to write home about uh, on, on, on this occasion. How are you? Same as you, mate. Just working. <laughs> Crafting hard. There's not an, there is just not enough project people out there. Uh, we need more project people. And what a perfect person to have on the podcast to talk about people in projects. There's a lot of P's. Chirag Shah, how are you, sir? Doing very well, thanks. How are you guys? I'm a little bit jealous because uh, you guys have got whiskey and I've got coffee. So we're going to have to fix this <laughs> could, time zone. Can easily some point. change that with some whiskey and the coffee. <laughs> one of us has to become Irish and start drinking in the morning. Which one is it? <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be you. We have a lot of diversity yeah, yeah, yeah. on this call, so I think you're the closest. <laughs> this is true, actually. I did my DNA the other day and I found out that I have a little bit of Irish in there. So now I can make all the jokes. Um, but I've got Scottish as well, so I'm always angry with myself. But Jirag, there's been a lot going on in the post-pandemic world, uh, especially in the job market. I don't know what uh, UK is, but certainly in Australia, I'm sure we can speak for the entire world when we say, oh, crap. And particularly the West, where we're building a lot of infrastructure. Obviously, we take the, the, uh, the global tensions aside. There's still stuff to be built. Is that right? Yeah, it is absolutely. You know, I've been, I'm actually doing, next week will be 17 years in recruitment. And uh this is the busiest the market's ever been, but far wow. away. This is yeah. it is a crazy time, I tell you. Yeah, seventeen years of finding people, placing people, making people happy. Is that right? That's exactly it. Making Bloody making hell, making dreams a reality. We say. <laughs> you sound like a realty ad. That's awesome. Well, look at how do you um how do you find people to start with? I mean, in this market when it's so scarce, um, yeah. and you're tr trying to qualify people. And to be fair, and I don't know, uh, Dale, you may be able to speak on this as well. There's a lot of people who look good on paper now because obviously we've had big projects, you know, back in the day, it used to be like, if they're on significant project, that was significantly interesting. 
Now it's like everyone's done it. So you've got this saturation of people and you don't really know whether they've just been a cog in the wheel or they've actually added some contribute or contributed to some real value on the project. How do you qualify your, your people to make sure you're putting the right people in the right places? Sure. So there's obviously the main thing for me, I've been around project controls equipment for a long time um, and LinkedIn particular to help, you know, retain that network I've built over time, kept those relationships going. Um, so there's a lot of people I know and placed before or worked with or know of them and got good referrals from other people I know. Um, one of the things we have come across is a lot of candidates have put on their CVs, you know, what their jobs and responsibilities on a big program like HS2, like you said. Um, but when you actually get into the nitty gritty, it's like they were part of the team. So they might not have done everything they said on the CV and it's trying to work out what have you actually done? What is it you did on that project? And and, and that's the, probably the key key question I ask compared to a few, I would say, other people. And especially for hiring managers, I think that's the key question to really get into and, and really go into the person, find out what they did on the particular project. And that will give you the answers that what they're good at. If they're an all-around project control person, are they better, stronger on the planning, on the cost, or are they genuine all-rounder? Mm. I find that uh, we're not the only ones that are struggling. I think contractors, clients, every side of the field is is really struggling to find quality people. So is the skills gap and actually an education gap from your perspective? There's a, there's a combination. So in the UK, what we're suffering is Brexit has affected things. So we do not have as many people coming from overseas. And this is across all sectors anyway, you know, even yeah. hospitality trade. Um, here, as, as you guys know, the government's in a bit of turmoil and we're getting a bit of a yin-yang and now the you know, we were very excited three weeks ago with the introduction of, well, the IR35 reforms being repealed. So that would have created what? a bigger pool of candidates again. And now, you know, it was announced earlier, mm. a couple of days ago, that uh, those repeal, those reforms are not changing. So, I, you know, it, it is as, as it was, status quo. Um, mm-hmm. And then what happens, what we've seen as well is a lot of the people, the experienced people, they're just getting, retiring early. You know, they're, they're, um, yeah, okay. they're not willing to, to get out of bed for X amount, you know, and then what we're seeing as well on top for, with the younger generation, those that have got a bit of experience, they're moving overseas now. Um, so at the moment, mm-hmm. Middle East is back now. We are in this post-COVID world as such. Uh, restrictions yep. are lifted. Uh, the amount of money funding that's going into Saudi, for example, is phenomenal. Um, you know, that, for example, the NEON project, well, you know, what, what what's yeah. that worth? You know, it's it's crazy amount. So we are seeing, we, we're losing a lot of good talent over there. Uh, uh, and no doubt we're going to see a lot, lot, lot of people move over to Australia as well to join, to join yourself on that side. I've seen a lot of Brits come over. Um, some old faces, Dale. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Kate and a few other for, from uh, free previous projects. But how do we, what's your suggestion for, since you've been in the business for 17 years, yeah. you know, if you were talking to the government, if you're talking to the prime minister, what would you say? How do you retain skills in the country? What's the best way to do that? Well, for, I think the best way from from that perspective, from the government perspective, is, is this whole IR35 situation. You know, we we, especially in project controls, you know, there is good people that carry on working in permanent roles and they develop their careers over time and get to the top. But then we have a lot of people that get to a certain stage, maybe they've worked 10 years, developing their career, 15 years, and then they decide, you know, I don't want managerial responsibilities. I want to be good. I want to be an expert at what I do. So we get many people that, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, they're just a very good planner and they're probably top end, um, but they want to work contract. They'd rather earn that money working contract and just be technically a good good person and not really to kick on it. They don't want the managerial responsibilities and things like that. They don't want to be a, a director. Um, so it's kind of changing that gap so that they work as a proper consultant. And then, I mean, rather than the government, um, and this is a conversation I was having with, with um, Georgie actually, um, we, you know, the educational system needs a bit of a re- revamp and, and I don't know how that can happen. We, we've talked on the side about the youngsters today know, learning how to budget, mortgages credit cards using that but you know it's these soft skills if you, as a starting point how are we enabling the youngsters how are they managing these stakeholder management skills strong communication skills influencing skills um we're in this hybrid working world now i don't think in a lot of areas we're going to go back to five days ever so if you are on a meeting how do you influence a team's meeting um 
and that, that's a massive gap that's the soft skill gap is more than anything else i would say uh, of, of importance we've lost at the moment well there's the paradox i mean i think about um i guess the the hybrid way of working remote working should mean that we're tapping in or un, unlocking people who are regional perhaps or from overseas who could potentially work uh, across borders but yet we're still finding the skill shortage for people leaving the country how is that um how's that affecting your job from finding yeah. people do they say now as a requirement Hey, I, Charag, if I'm going to go for this job, I'm only working two days in the office. Is that what you're getting? Yeah, so we're getting, we're getting a big, big push. Yeah, we've got a big pushback now. So our clients mm. want that, want their people to be flexible to come in as and when needed and say, look, we're, we're flexible. Please. We're not telling you to come in every day, but you need to come in when we tell you. And now we're in this place where it is a candidate driven world because it's such a buoyant market. And they're like, no, no. I only want to come in one or two days a week and I'll tell you which way I go. So it's trying to find that middle ground, um, which is very tricky at the moment. And people have found their place. I think all of us, like me, if I was asked to go in for five days a week, I wouldn't. You know, we we found that that balance where we can still, especially if you're a parent of young children, you want to be there uh, for the, you know, I, two days a week, I drop my child and pick them up. And then even mm. if, you, if you're not a parent, you know, you, you've now found that you've got extra time in your day to do those extra social activities that you probably couldn't before, whether being going to a gym, going to certain classes, taking up other hobbies, you know, whatever it is. So it's finding the right balance. Um, when we talk about people working overseas for a local project, that is an issue because people still want to see their their team. So I think you mm. know, if you're in once or twice a week or a few times a month, that's that's what's really needed. So hiring from overseas for a local project is still very difficult. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I'm not sure. I mean, I get a little bit excited when I hear the People's Republic, you know, when we push back and the people are actually deciding now which way, which which ways and which days we work. I kind of like that a little bit. But as an employer, I'm like, fuck, I just want people to come in and work together and collaborate and gather. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of different discussions on this topic. And I know Dale will probably have some questions on this. Um, but we haven't really found a medium because the people that at least I've surveyed uh, that have the hybrid freedom to work from home or wherever they want to work. Um, particularly they work from home. They have their own setups, right? Because we all went out. This is the establishment, right? We all went out and bought our mm. own work from home office kit, right? From Amazon. And now I find I have less time than I did before because I'm in back-to-back -back team meetings. Whereas if it was outside of my environment, my home environment, it was separate from my work life, I mean, my personal life. And I would get up and I'd walk around the office and I'd meet people and you have that water cooler discussions and, you go out for a coffee to meet people. And I felt like at least from a steps perspective, Shirag talking about fitness before we press play, you know, at least I got my steps in, but I feel like I'm at home. I'll do less than 800 steps. So now I'm thinking like now I need a treadmill. And now I feel like a proper lab rat because I'm plugged to a screen. I'm back to back and I'm walking on a treadmill. I haven't left the room in four days and it's sunny outside. What do we do about that kind of uh, working environment? Because I see that as just as potentially uh, oh, damaging for you. Yeah. Agree. So, you know, that whole, I, you know, I work in London, I go in on the train and before you used to get so annoyed when the train was packed with train delays, I, I just don't mind anymore because that, that train time gives me my peace, gives me my me time. When I'm walking, I put a podcast in, it might be the Project Shadow podcast or it could be other podcasts, you know, but, um, you know, you I just enjoy that period. Um, and I think people that do work just from home, they're working harder, they're working more hours, they are losing there's there, there's no start and finish there's too many gray areas so yes they may take a break in the day to go out and go for a walk or you know uh put the wash on or whatever it is but they end up working later hours and just lose that balance and, then, and especially you know someone will always say oh could you do a little this for me could you do that for me and then you think yeah. well i've got that two hours extra in my life because i'm not commuting um but yeah you're, you're stuck on in front of the screen um, it's just it's just not just not healthy. Um, no, and a lot not. a lot a lot of people are similar. Like you know, they just don't get up and walk or leave their screens. I've seen it. Um, you know, in my own personal life, and my wife, for example, should probably be there, plan to go for a walk, but then something's come up. I need to finish an email. Oh, now I've got a meeting, and 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 then we were seeing you know, meetings are in there for the sake of them sometimes when you could just have that water cooler conversation, like you said. Exactly. And I think there's something about separating the two as well. But anyway, we're losing our, um, our focus on the, the jobs, the people and placing people, um, and particularly in the UK, because that's where you yeah. normally stay. 
Um, so, so what exactly uh, are people doing when it comes to preparing for a job? Are they getting job ready? Or are you finding that um, even if they don't have the skills, they're applying for jobs above their weight? I wouldn't say that. Um, I think people are, you've got two sets of people at the moment. You've got people in one, one bench that they're worried about the future. They're worried, you know, what's happening with our government politics side, the oil and gas crisis with the uh, Ukraine war and the, the fears that the media put out about recessions and things like that. So they're just going to stay stuck and they feel, you know, I just want to stay in a safe place where I know that I'm staying here for good. I don't want to be going into a new job, first one in, first one out. And then you've got others that are thinking, you know what, I'm getting calls all the time, I'm seeing these adverts, rates are rising, it's time to make a move. Um, I think the guys that are there sticking in their jobs, worried about recessions and things like that, if you're good at your job, you do not need to worry. There is so much work going on out there. Go for it. What what you need to do if you if you are thinking of going for a job where maybe it might you may be underqualified at that moment or you're being a bit overly ambitious, I say go for it. Speak speak to people you know in your network. Speak to your advisors. Even when you're if you are being interviewed for a role, both of yourselves are hiring managers. If you're a candidate being interviewed, wouldn't you like it if the guy if you if the candidate asked you? Assess where I'm at. I really want to be this project. I'm at, at the moment, I'm project controls engineer or senior project controls engineer. I want to be a project controls manager. You, you know, can you go away and think, have I got the attributes to be a PCM or what else do I need to do to get there? If I was to join you, what do I need to do in the next six months to get there? So there's no there's no problem in today's market more than any other to, to go for that job maybe that you're not quite ready for, but you're one step away from. Mm. One more question for me before I get Dalian on this subject, because I know he is a bit closer to the UK market, but you know, this is, this applies to Australia and, and the rest of the world as well, I think is um, the disparities. So a lot of the time we are, I guess we're filling pockets. When we talk about roles, roles are independent as in they have a position description. They have a set of responsibilities. They generally are part of some type of racy or, you know, there's a, there's a connection to them and the other parts of the hierarchy. I put it to a, a, not a client, but a prospect the other day. I said, maybe it's not the way we shop for people. Maybe it's the organizational design that needs to change. So what, what I mean by that is when we scale a project, we think, well, if we, we chop the project up into various bits, phases, sections, disciplines, then we decide we're going to have a manager to manage and kind of ring fence that from a support perspective, from a discipline perspective, from an understanding perspective. Then we say, right, we need that cookie cutter 15 times because the project is X big. And my view is, is that the right, is the organizational design also part to blame, not just the placement of people, if we have a lack of skills and capacity? Yeah, so I think one, one of the things that we're exploring as, as an organization, we're talking to industry leads like yourself is, again, rather than hiring individual people, like you said, the 15 cookie cutters, looking at it as a statement of works. So you know that on this project, this needs to be done these are the milestones that need to be here. So actually getting people, and this is going back to the consultancy almost model that, yeah, and, and permanent staff can be a part of it, but if you need to get there, you don't need 15 people, you need to get this work done. And it's like assessing, getting it done in a certain time period. And it can be, you have less people at the beginning, maybe three or four. And then when it gets to peak time, you end up having rather than 15, 20. And then having that workforce flexibility and, and this statement of works is the, is the change that's needed, I think, at the moment. Yeah, because I think, as and take rail as a perfect example, not necessarily controls, but let's say you're looking for a, a design or a signaling engineer or a TIC or someone with a specified skill uh, or an independent certified, someone with, with skills in that particular yeah. area. And if they don't have those skills, it's not something you can punch above your weight. No. You know, it's, it's related to safety and people, et cetera. We, for example, in a particular state in Australia, we only have 14 of them in the state. And there's a hundred billion dollars worth of rail to deliver. Yeah. And those rail projects are delivering at the same time over top of each other in different exactly. areas. Yeah. And now you have this compound problem because not only can you not find them, um, you can't skill people up fast enough. And so you have to either change the project or you have to change how the organization is structured to make sure that you can deliver those things on time. And it's become a real constraint or a bottleneck uh, for, for these projects post pandemic, right? Um, okay. Because you can't bring people in from other countries. But let's get Dale in here. 
because I know he's been waiting, waiting patiently, Chirag, to put you on the yeah, hot seat. No worries. Yeah. I think yeah, the I'll last point on that is we look at, we need to look at better workforce solutions rather mm. than one person, Joe Bloggs, doing just being hired and then afterwards assessing what is the work they're doing. Having the work ready for a group of individuals to deliver for a workforce solution. Yeah, interesting indeed. And as you say, it's, you need both the supply and the demand side of that workforce solution, right? It, it can't just be one-sided. Uh, just to rewind slightly, we always have fun facts on the podcast. IR35, for those that aren't aware, not in the UK, refers to the UK's anti-avoidance tax legislation designed to tax disguised employment at a rate similar to employment. So basically, contractors that uh, use the tax loopholes that's what IR35 is there to avoid if you were wondering. But if you weren't, because that's probably quite boring, it's all about tax. Um, let's shift gears, Chirag, because I'm quite interested and I know you do have a pulse on sort of the, the global market, but more specifically, you you have your finger on the pulse on the UK market. Which sectors do you specifically see that there's particularly high demand or perhaps less demand at the moment? I think I think the sectors at the moment are absolutely crazy. And this is what's happened post-pandemic. All the projects have got their approval and funding at the same time. So we are very busy. Rail infrastructure, still HS2, is hiring aggressively. People going back to work, regardless of whether hybrid or not. TfL, we're seeing a lot more recruitment happening. So Transport for London, that is. And the National Rail, again, they need plenty of people. So that's very busy. Oil and gas was very subdued over the last few years, even before the pandemic. Pandemic killed the oil and gas market. We've seen the oil and gas main companies, your Shell, your BPs, your EPC companies like Fleur, Woolley, um, they're all moving to alternative energy now. Major investment going into carbon capture, renewables. So they are recruiting heavily and before they would never hire people that didn't have the oil and gas experience now they're very open on the sector background um in the uk the defense sector has a lot of funding at the moment so again they're aggressively uh hiring and and you know their the talent is even more harder to more scarce because of the, the you need the security clearance and so not many mm. people have that as a percentage of good project control professionals um, so those are the busy areas of renewables. And then um, we're also seeing a big push within the data center, pharmaceutical center sectors, um, and which are pretty new. So they're quite flexible on the areas that they recruit from. Um, so they're aggressively hiring. And when you've got end clients like your Google, Facebook, Apple, candidates want to work for that type of, you know, sexy client as such. Um, and then we're also seeing, obviously, now aviation's back. You know, it's an all-time hype. Everyone's ready to fly. Next week over here is a half term break. And I think, you know, loads of people will be flying again because the issues we had earlier in the year with at airports is, is all solved now. So, you know, all the sectors are busy. I can't really think too much of sectors that aren't. I don't, I don't know anyone mm. that's not well, hiring. <laughs> that's incredible. So not only are the traditional sectors showing increased demand post-pandemic, but you have new players also seeking you know, key individuals with key skill sets, which as Val said, we just don't have enough of. So that then brings me into the skill side of things. And as we we said, you can't you can't make experienced people quick enough. Um perhaps let's start on skills around what you would advise candidates to look at in terms of not only making them ready for today's demand, but future proofing their skill sets. Um, because I, I think I think the pandemic changed a lot of what we what we thought we'd be doing. Um, if if you went if you went and started pre-pandemic, you you probably had an outlook of how projects would be delivered, and then pandemic hit, and I think that changed things slightly, particularly with the way we adopted technology. But then you have the Martin Pavers of the world that brings their data analytics to the fore and, and and is driving that heavily. But what skill sets do you think? candidates should be focusing on um to future proof themselves in given the current the current climate i think we've, we we touched on this a couple of years ago actually when we did the first podcast so traditionally a good planner project control professional 
you know, they came from a civil engineering background and understood how a project was constructed and things like that. And now I think we're looking at a, and it, and it has what I predicted that time, it has changed now. Yes, those are still the guys that very much in demand, those individuals that have got that engineering type of degree and then gone into planning or project controls, fantastic. But now we're seeing people who come from animation degrees or you know, it could be any, anything really, maths degrees we've seen and, and go into planning and project controls and now. So we're seeing a better mix of teams. So when we talk about diversity, it's not diversity by, by sex or ethnic background. That's obviously a key part, but it's diversity of what you've actually studied, what you've done prior to getting into planning project controls. Um, so that's improving things. Um, to focus on, look, if you're going to technical side, the, the positive thing post pandemic is the availability of training that there is, which you can go out and do on your own. There's so many training courses available at the moment. You know, you've got the Project Controls Academy in America. You've got Michael Lepage um, with his um, Primavera training as examples. Uh, Martin Pave, you touched on, he provides the, uh, the the training there with Project Success. We didn't have any of this before pandemic. So the ability from a technical point of view to learn, fantastic. And then now, it's, you know, I touch on it so much, it's a soft skills. You know, planners of today, project control professionals today, that's not just their job. They are project managers, they're communication managers. Um, that is just as important. So it's evolving that. We focused again over the last year, um, the networking side. Now, how how are you going to be known in the industry? How do people get to know you? How do you evolve and develop and train yourself? You know, get out there, get now, get networking, whether whether it be virtually, and I'd say connect with people on LinkedIn or face to face through the networking events we've created over recent times and other events that are going on next month we've got the project controls expo we're probably expecting a thousand people what great opportunity to network one of the reasons i'd say that you talk about how do you train up go out there find a mentor you know if you can find a mentor they don't even have to work in your organization what better way than to learn from someone that's got 10 20 years experience yeah no absolutely absolutely agreed and i think you're right it is evolving um and it's not it's not as difficult to access as you're saying these days with everything online um and you've mentioned a, a number of guests that have been on the show that are actually putting themselves out there so yeah not just as training providers or, or people that have a wealth of knowledge that are willing to share but also those that are willing to mentor um so yeah i, I think you know it's not too difficult to 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 actually have someone there that has that experience i know val's keen to mentor so you know whoever listens to this podcast if he has 100 mentors he's got all the time in the world uh, mentees so um sorry val i stuck you in it there uh <laughs> moving on swiftly he's given me a, a very weird look folks so um I'll, I'll just pretend that never happened the other thing i want to ask you chirag is i think we're on the at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to technology influencing and shaping the way projects are delivered. Have you seen any influence that technology has started to play on roles in skill sets required by organizations or not yet? Um, I'd say the biggest change we've had since October 2020, I would say, is, so two years exactly, is project controls teams used to be planners, cost engineers, project controls, managers, potentially an estimator. The change that's happened since then is risk. Risk was not valued at all before. People were just whatever. COVID's completely changed that. Demand for risk, never seen anything like it. Find a good, uh, if you're good at risk, right now to run a QSRA, you're going to be fine. And then the, on the technology side, data analysts. So data analysts now have become a very core part of project controls teams, Power BI. And, um, you know, we are recruiting all the time for data analysts who can utilize the Pabia. And the beauty of it now is, I think that ego of knowing about project controls, or you must have this industry experience, that's gone. We're hiring people from other sectors. They're coming in, they're learning about project controls. They're learning about the sector they're in by being in that team. And that's the big thing now. So we're seeing, you know, if you've got a team of three, four planners, two cost engineers, you're going to have two data analysts in there. So that's the change that's coming. Um, 
it's being able to manage upwards how you communicate at the visualization of what you're presenting um, and that what they'll do for our community it'll improve our importance our value on projects yeah i was going to say why don't we i know dale's being facetious but we why don't we we put it out there um whoever wants to get mentored you know let's make the challenge real uh get in touch with project chatter podcast i'll talk to chirag and dale we'll see what we can do um if we can't do it we'll find someone for you how about that mm, absolutely. the first few that can get in there we'll help you out because i think you're right i think there needs to be more mentoring access or mentoring opportunities and you've got to find mentors Chirag. but yeah. a lot of people one don't know how to do it or two just lack of time and capacity yeah. to do it um the other question i had is what do you think about the four-day work week Chirag, and how could that play into this hybrid working model uh, so I think from a recruitment perspective, as a recruiter, it wouldn't have a work if you're a recruitment. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 why not? Why not? Uh, Come on, let's talk. Let's talk about TRS bosses. Come on, let's get there's them on. way the too much to do. No chance. No chance. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm, we're actually going on holiday. When this gets released, I'll be on holiday. However, I have to sneak <laughs> off at certain periods and, uh, uh, you know, I'll have to have a, an hour where I'm at the bar having a quick beer, but I'll be going through the emails, unfortunately. It's it's crazy times. However, I think in what the project's controls world, you know, it's it's about hitting milestones. So why can't you do four days? You know, if you get you, you get your work done efficiently, what's the problem? If Agreed. You so you task yeah. based. If we're outcome based, if we you know forget this thing called presenteeism mm -hmm. and we trust our teams theoretically and they can deliver what they did in five and four, which I think people yeah, can. Definitely. There is a there is a psychological thing to this. You know, if you have a thousand dollars budget, you'll spend the thousand dollars. If you give yourself an hour for a meeting, you'll spend the hour yeah, in the meeting. Um, yeah. You know, there is something to that, and I think we, maybe we should try that. Uh, yeah, I think we've already, to a large extent, we've got rid of nine to five. You know, I I, I work. I change. I've changed my hours. So I work one hour before everybody else, or the majority, and I finish an hour before the majority, so I can be home with with my kids um and the same thing in, in project controls what why can it not change it, it's it's mm. it's it, the main thing is people need to have meetings for a reason if you have meetings of importance the problem is why are meetings called and like you said they're there for an hour can they be concluded in 15 minutes and then there's a can you walk away from a meeting as well if you're not if you're not needed in a meeting that is very frowned upon if you leave a meeting and this is in any any part of the, any world any job but Am I really needed? Can I just leave? And well, that's like very difficult. That, that's like going to a dinner party and not liking the food and then just leaving <laughs> while everyone's eating. <laughs> it, it, it's it is a weird thing, but it's an Elon Musk thing, right? He does that. Yeah. If you find the meeting is an adding value, you can leave mm. the meeting, which I yeah. think is actually good if you're thinking about people's time and you only have a certain amount of capacity per week, yeah. and you're sitting in a meeting with thirty five other people. Yeah. And you're not going to speak because let's be honest, there's a lot of people who are very extroverted, and everyone else gets drowned out. Um, so it's a meeting of voices rather than a meeting of ideas. And then yeah. what's the point? So I, so that what we're saying is, if I can summate, we're saying you should work maybe earlier, finish earlier, four days, focus on outcomes, right? But, and well, have that hybrid opportunity. I love let, it. Let, let me uh, whet your appetite a little bit. I was sp speaking to a, a, a guest that will come on in the future around productivity. And they got some really neat tech mm. and they've got data You'll love this. I don't want to give everything away, but data where they actually, instead of having one break at the middle of the day, they had two breaks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. They had less time to work, but productivity was up because they had more time for breaks. So yeah, let's that, just that, the appetite there a little bit. That's that's the same with children. The the book I read, um, you know, the book oh, You Wish Your Parents Had Read, um, there was a study about that because they gave children two breaks rather than the one and, and that worked again the concentration levels were far higher mm. there is a sweet spot obviously we can get too lazy like if i start putting bean bags in my office i'm probably not going to go back to the uh, desk but i think there is there is an opportunity to kind of shift while we're all in this kind of moving swaying um idea of a different model opposing the henry ford model which has been around for too long probably suits our working lifestyle better because again we have technology at our fingertips. We could be anywhere in the world and still provide value. Um, and then if we are, the problem is we have um, middle management that are old school. When I say old school, I mean, they've come from a world where, you know, everyone comes in the office five days a week. I do see a little bit of that attention in the, in the client's offices. Um, 
I'm finding that's that's something that a lot of people are leaving because of. But there was another thing that I saw, and I don't know if this is just hype or something. I I, I just flicked through on TikTok, and I'm going to ask you, Tara, because I don't know what I'm talking about. What is quiet quitting, and is that a thing? That is a thing, and I, you know, unfortunately, it's one of these things. So obviously, working remotely, working. Can you explain what it is before we go? Okay, so quiet quitting is if you're working nine to five and you're just doing the basics, you're just doing the bare minimum. You're working nine to five, you're just doing the basic job of what you've been asked to do, and that's it. Not more, no less. I know loads of people that do that. (laughs) But then what what we're finding now is that because um, people, I think in COVID times when people were fearful for their jobs when they weren't on furlough, they were working that bit harder. And now so then Mm. their performance has been like, you know, your performance has dropped and and there's that issue there now. And then what we are seeing is there are a lot of ambitious people, a lot of hungry people. So they're like, why am I doing all of this when this person... You know they're not available now. They're not contributing this. I've contributed this much, um, so we've we've got again two pools, um, and I think people are saying that you know potential recessions, things like this. Th- these are the times where the quiet quits are going to be found out almost. Yeah. So you're not you're not advising people to be quiet quitters. Is that what you're saying? Hundred percent not. <laughs> well, what, 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 you know, you're clear. What's the point in just doing the basics? You know, you're clearly not passionate about what you do. If you're, if you're working, whatever you're doing, you got to be passionate about what you do. Well, like I can't say names directly on here, um, but I've Why had not? experiences. <laughs> you, <laughs> no, come on, you always get the guests to say that. Say, give the names. <laughs> I know they're in the hot seat. I'll have to be on Chirag's podcast at some point. But uh, yeah. look, if you they were upset because the work was 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 not what they expected to start with obviously but, but only a couple of months into the job and then they've left um and their productivity fell before that so there was some inclination that they weren't yeah. happy um but it does appear to me and i'm not sure if this is true because i don't have any data i would rather have data to prove this but are you finding that um people are moving a lot more frequently than they used to and maybe that's because the expectations are a little bit too high particularly maybe with the younger generation they have expectations going in if even one of those expectations isn't met they're back on the job market because yeah. the market is rich is that 100%. happening yeah people are, people are moving some people are moving too quickly as well at times i feel and um for me you know if someone had started a job probably within this calendar year i would be you know really questioning them why are you leaving so soon and a lot of people you know the answer is just market's busy more money now is that right mm. or wrong i don't know you know morally is it it's probably not um are other companies gonna gonna go and hire that person there is a question of them worried about their future loyalty but if they're desperate to hire maybe they will my mm. my i'm pretty like i'm very up don't like doing that or putting candidates forward like that i don't think it, it's wise because you know the person will probably that it's loyal it's a question of loyalty at the moment um and i think but you know the positive now is compared to before if you were treated badly there are other options out there whereas before you probably would have stuck it out and not enjoyed it um and it's just getting the right balance because sometimes you do need to fight for any issue because it's a learning experience for you it might be tough mm. a tough task and you, you know three months of getting through it but the learnings you can get from something which is harder rather than just doing an easy task and just getting going through it it's it's again it's a com- combination of fixed mindset versus growth mindset yeah i think when in in australia we call it resilience i think in yeah. in the uk you call it grit you know grit yeah. where is that grit is that a skill set that you can measure like if you're looking for qualifying people into very hard projects let's say they're very pressurized you know it's going to be a difficult environment mm-hmm. if they're not ready for it how do you measure grit yeah like a good example of talking about resilience you know it's a great word that i love using um you know, when you're looking at someone's CV, looking at what jobs they've done earlier on when they were studying, like, for example, if someone's worked in McDonald's, you know they've got some resilience about them because it's a really? hard place. It's a hard place to work in McDonald's. If you're I've 16, never worked there. I don't know. But they look like they're having what, a ball. Yeah. The experiences that I've heard about, you know, or, you know, if they've worked in any of these type of, you know, tough, fast, fast-paced jobs and been there for, you know, three, six months during the holidays, you can tell that they've got some resilience. Whereas if, they went to university and then went straight into the same first job. You know, where's where have they built the resilience from? Because you know, you're not born with resilience. You know, you learn it through life experience. Yeah. So, so and, and, can can you teach someone resilience? And how would you go about that? So let's say they weren't ideal for the job, and you say, look, you're not really right the candidate for me for this job. I'm, I'm sure you go through hundreds like that. 
can, do you offer them recommendations and say, look, you should probably do, you know, one, you should check out the Project Chatter podcast, Alan Val will give you some learnings there, but but also you should do X, Y, Z. Do you give them something around we, grit we or try resilience? To. I, I, again, I think grit or resilience is probably, that's, that's got to be through their direct employers. We, we probably don't know enough about them on that side. Um, mm. You know, and if you think how quick it is to hire someone, it's one or two stage interview, you're only spending maximum two hours with the person and that's nowadays virtually how can you find out if someone's got resilience or grit it, that's very hard when you're a line manager of someone who's been working for you for a period of time then you can start to challenge them a little bit and just work out how far you can it can go but then again you get worried because then are they going to quit and go down the road mm. so you could you could tell if someone's mm. not resilient if they're a grad and then they've moved around three times in the past five years could we do something like this? Could we just take a whole bunch of potential candidates and put them in the bush with only a few <laughs> tools and and then work out with work out who is whoever survives get into you know that's the short list. Uh because obviously they've you know a bit like um Lord of the Flies type situation there. Would that work? Not in the UK, there's too many health and safety regs. Yeah, not in today's world. <laughs> Maybe in Australia and South Africa, though. All right, we lost, all right. We lost yeah. Piers Morgan about that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can go on it. I don't think he'd last very long either. <laughs> but I think there is something around, um, it's a bit like training, right? You're, you're a fitness guy, so you get it. Um, I think when I'm looking at qualifying, and I'll stay out the same question, actually, when I'm looking for resilience, you know, I try and I, I question in frames of scenarios and what would you do in this scenario? Then I, then I ask them what they do for fun. And usually those that are um, one discipline, two, have a little bit of um, like a strong mentality, have some type of outlet. So they say, you know, I do surfing or I, you know, I've got a sports or I do training or I do marathons. And I'm like, that's interesting. Cause, and then I've actually paired that against the guys that have worked for me in the past. And they all have a very common feature, which is they have something outside of work, which balances the work. Cause again, I think we, we have a heavy load. I'm not, I'm not sure if you, you feel the same way, Trag. I'm sure you do, mate. If you're sneaking out for holidays, um, yeah. TRS, give him some more holidays, by the way, <laughs> put a petition in project had a podcast. Yes, if you please. want Trag to have more holidays, let us know. Please but, do there's this big weight on your shoulders. And if you don't have a, a, a way okay. to vent it, um, that's when mental health problems come up. That's when you have physical problems. Are you finding a bit of a trend there as well for the job yeah. market? Yeah, so one, one, one thing, as a hiring, if you're a hiring manager listening, if someone says they go to the gym on their CV, question them, find out, just say to them, what, what workouts are you doing? Because <laughs> I tell you what, 80% of people lie about that. So just, just yeah. go a bit in depth on that as well. Spend two, three minutes oh, that's on that. That's interesting. What do, you, what do you ask them? Like what, what do you bench? Well, yeah, well, go for it. Go for a typical week. You know, what's your training routine? That's interesting. Yeah. I've never done that actually. I've just, I've just, I've seen it on, on, well, they haven't said gym, but they'll say something related to yeah. weightlifting or, or martial arts or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's interesting though. I think there, there is a, so there is ideal candidates who have interesting qualities. So let's get to the quality. So if you're shortlisting and you're qualifying these people in the job market, cause I want to give everyone an opportunity to and, we can learn from your wisdom of 17 years in the market. If they are presenting a CV to you, I think we've gone through this last time you're here, but what are the big things that you just quickly, because you scan them obviously, or you have software that mm. does it. Yeah. What are the yeah. big things you're looking for? No, no, so looking? I scan them. We don't use software. You know, I think that that's too, that's going a bit too far and just keyword searching. How many times is P6 in the CV? That's, no, it's not worth it. What the best way to put a clear CV together, you know, is a short profile, three to four lines, you know, summary of yourself, your education, mm. um, software that you use, um, which is relevant, you know, the, the Primavera Power BI MS Office, for example. And then when you're going through your career history, the employer working for the date, project, project value, what your job title is on the project, and then your key duties and responsibilities. Um, and if you worked on multiple projects, even if they're concurrently, make sure you put that in and just go through that chronologically um, is the key parts of what you need to be there. Um, keep it clear. You know, there's always this gray area. Should a CV be two pages, three pages? Well, depends how long your career is. You know, if, you, if it's five years, then, then two pages is fine. If it's 20 years, a couple of lines on your early jobs. And then obviously go more in depth in your more recent jobs covering the last five to 10 years, I would say. Um, and put McDonald's in there, right? Because McDonald's yeah. is grit. Yeah, nice. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then the other point is um, if you have got testimonials, like so a lot of people today have LinkedIn recommendations, 
just just take a snapshot of that and put that at the bottom of your CV. It acts like okay. a, it's a, it's a reference that's then there and then. Um, so no one has to go. They, eventually, when you go for your employment checks, they'll go for a reference anyway. But this just shows that actually, you know, someone an ex manager's rates this person anyway. Um, so you'll stand out a little bit from the crowd. I wanted to ask you about that, uh, Chirag, because the references are a bit of a. I mean, I, I'm not saying me, but I'm just saying that it seems to be in the market in the community is like, even if they were bad, you don't wish bad upon them. And so there's a level of like, I guess, an unspoken um, agreement between ex-employees and employers where if they do get called for a reference, even if they were bad, you wouldn't necessarily paint them in a bad light. Because again, I don't think people want the worst, unless they're absolute assholes, like, let's be honest, but you wouldn't necessarily say, yeah, no, nah, I wouldn't hire him because you want them to get jobs, just not with you. So do yeah, you think, think the references are still valid in that regard? I think um, they are valid if you ask the right questions. So if the person mm. was your manager on the project and you compare to the CV and you go through the person's CV with that referee and say, just wanted to check this, this individual was a planner on this project. This was his you know, key duties, he was doing the baselining, programming. How was he at it? And if you're going a bit more in depth, and understand and asking the questions so you're almost interviewing them that referee about this individual and find out did they what did they actually do what level of scheduling did they do you know and how far and in, in depth did they go um and ask them if mm. they if they they if they highlighted in an interview that these were changes they made or implemented asking what was this, this person's influence and skills like and you'll read between the lines and know exactly what the person was like in reality I've, I've done a lot of references for people and I've never been asked questions about it. You know, they're very basic, like they're kind of superficial, yeah. I guess. Date, dates you know, mainly. Was he nice? Was she a nice girl, guy? You know, did they work there? You know, almost like a um, employment verification rather than yeah. um, employment satisfaction, perhaps. But the, the other thing I think, what if we just, if we go on 30,000 feet up for a second, because I'm in that mood today, I'm in a playful mood, Cherik, is what if we use the blockchain and we had more than one reference and you just, you just got everyone they've ever worked with on the, on their employment <laughs> record, and they could say yes or no to like three or four questions, you know, da, 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 and they're verified by. It doesn't have to be everybody, but some type of verification method that. Because I think what happens is we get two references, and we we'll always yeah. pick the two best references that love us yeah, or their friends. Agreed. Or we, you know, we go to the pub with them, which is fine. Um, but if it's a super important job, um, maybe you want more than that. Maybe you want five or ten. Maybe you want to know what the community thinks of this person. Because I have seen people who have excellent references, but when you go into the community, because it isn't that big mm. in Australia, it's probably the same as the UK, uh, they're like, oh no, this guy's black, or he's, you know, yeah. he's blacklisted, or whatever yeah. it might be for whatever reason, um, caused some trouble, you know, ten years ago, yeah. but you'd never see it on his CV. How do you get around that? Yeah, no, that, that's a good idea. Getting more referees. Also, asking the referee for a referee could be another idea. So oh, you have to break if, that down for me. Sorry. So if, if you if you <laughs> let's just say just say you, you work for Dale and yeah, then I no. went to get a reference of Dale and yeah. then I said, by the way, I am I do need enough another reference. Is there someone else in the business that worked with Val that I could take a reference of? And um, then basically, so that oh. individual that that Dale recommends, you might have provided that person. So it's a bit more neutral. I'd never be a referee for Val. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, might be a good a, thing. I might be a referee maybe i won't be an advocate yeah. who knows <laughs> yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't put him on my referee sheet to be honest he's too honest <laughs> and then and then mm. the other side is people that work for this individual so it's upwards referencing or how mm. you know how was he as a manager you know because mm. um, that's a big thing now it's the same thing you know it's how, when you go to a restaurant how do you treat a, a, a waiter and things like that similar so Chirag, if if someone comes to you a client it says, I need five, I need two Dales and one Val. That's probably the ratio you want. Um, and you don't have them. Do you say yes anyway? No, nope. I'll be quite honest in today's market. I had that call today. Someone wanted a project controls engineer for 50,000 pound salaried. And I need TVs by the end of the day. I said, if I could provide that, I'd be a millionaire by now. So I said, well, we'll obviously work on it, but then you, you know, I, I do a lot of work with the consultancies. I think we've all got to manage everyone's timeframes. I need mm. at least two to three weeks. So I will, if 
it's it's not saying that I haven't got a, a Dale or a Val. I need I will always find one. You know, I think um like I'm, I'm like Liam, I'm like Liam Neeson there. I will always find one, but <laughs> you just got to give me a bit of time. <laughs> I love that. That was good. Liam Neeson reference. I don't know where that came from, but you'll never find a Dale or a Val. I think that's 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 been established. Uh, but I think there is there is a hard there is a hard lesson for for recruiters out there as well to say, um, no, you don't, because what's happening is we're getting this skew of the market where we're saying yes, we do, but then they come back with, and I think this is the other challenge I wanted to ask you about the job market salaries. What's yeah. the difference between salaries kind of pre and then mid COVID and then post pandemic? And how much have they jumped and why? Definitely. Salaries have jumped. Um, and I think this is the time when if, if you are, I've been working for an employer for four or five years and they've pushed back on pay rises or promotions or given promotions with very light salary increases, you know, and they've blamed it on the market, things like that. It's This is the time to, to think about moving and, and not accepting a counteroffer when they leave either. Like honestly, never ever accept a counteroffer. It'll always blow up in your face. But going back to the original question, um, salaries have increased. I would say it's very hard to put percentage on it. We don't. It's very hard to get accurate data from that side. But they certainly have increased. If you're giving me a ballpark between that ten and fifteen percent in the last two years, um, I think clients have to find. They've found ways that to fund these increases. They have to because of the scarcity of talent. It's simply economic supply and demand. Um, mm. not as many people out there um, where we're seeing the biggest jumps at the moment is you know when you're that graduate with three years plus experience move seeking that first career move you will get a good salary boost and then when you're slightly more mature in your career and moving from that project controls manager to associate director or director move then you're going to see a jump as well middle of the ground where you're you're still building that seven to ten year career I think that's just about honing which way, what direction you go into for the rest of your career. Is it going to be that technical guru or is it going to be that people manager part? And once you know that a bit better, that's when you're going to start to see your jumps. But, um, you know, we, we go to work for money, but we go to, you know, we, we want job satisfaction. So when you're at that middle ground, I think it's, it is about taking time out to explore what you really want to be doing and what's going to give you, make you happy at work. Yeah, that's a good point. So what is the what is the number one reason from your experience people move? Is it just money? Is that the real motive for leaving? In today's world, it's the hybrid working, I would say. So when mm. companies are forcing you back, people are saying five days a week, very difficult. Um, what we're seeing at the moment, we're, we're uh, you know, I'm really passionate now. The last few months have shown me, you know, the, the diversity side. So, so, you know, we're not seeing enough females in the market at the moment looking for new jobs. And I think for them, you know, still today, females are, you know, the, when they're mums of young children, they are the dominant parents still. So they want that safe place that where, you know, I need to be able, the ability to be at home. So that's probably a bigger reason at the moment when, when firms are moving. If firms are deciding to say that we're going to be really free and let you work remotely, then I think you're, they're attracting that, that diversity. When it's five days, then they're not going to get anyone. Like I'm out of principle, won't even work with clients. I want five days a week in the office. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just digesting it. I think you're right. I think as well, you know, um, diversity targets are good because we want inclusivity. It doesn't just include genders, but I think it includes everybody from all sorts of walks yeah. of life. Uh, and we, we do find a challenge when it becomes a, a gender diversity yeah. uh, request because we'll have the paradox of I need... Chirag, a planner, P6, 15 years experience, engineering background, you know, and worked in Australia. And you're like, how many do you think there are in the exactly. actual market? Exactly. So you're asking, you're asking us to do the impossible. And it's not because we don't want to. I, I can guarantee you everyone is trying. Um, it's just the pool is, is low um, or the exactly as you said, the employment conditions aren't right for yeah. um, people to take advantage of that. So it is a bit of a tricky one, but I, I'll do like your comment. Um, around that yeah. Dale I want to jump in now sorry just to go back on your point originally and one of the earlier questions were if you're speaking to the government what would they do so what, what could you advise them the, the visa situation as well so we're seeing a lot of you know people from other countries who have the right experience so one of my clients actually they've got the opportunity for visa sponsorship um, and we're seeing for example in India there's quite a few good candidates who have worked on UK projects but in India, 
So why can they not come over to the UK, be on site? They've got the UK experience. They understand, you know, working to network rail grip standards, for example, HS2 mm. standards. Um, and if, if if things can open up on that, that opens the doors a lot more. I don't know how things are in Australia with the visa side, you know. Well, we've got, uh, I was at an, a conference, an engineering conference, and we had the... Um uh the consular general or whatever they call them and he was saying that the free trade agreement between uk and australia will be better uh the only question was around defense projects because of security but yeah. arguably we should be closer if we want to be a little bit more aligned and then the free flow between people from uk to here and vice versa i do feel it's going to be more brits coming here just mm-hmm. to be honest but you way. know that's fine if it fills the if it fills the gaps well, i'm happy to go back there Chirag, as well and, and help you guys out um, on big rail projects and uh, and work with Dale again, but look, I think there is a there needs to be that alignment between countries too to 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 yeah. free up the the immigration of skilled workers because again, you can clearly state and there is plenty of data to suggest that there are gaps all across projects, not just yeah. project controls, engineers in particular, specific engineers by disciplines, particularly rails, road infrastructure, civil. Uh, we see it all across the the Western globe because we're all building something, and I think during COVID there was an intent to move projects forward to bring them forward to keep people employed, to keep them gamefully interested, to, to manage mental health. To all, there's a whole raft of reasons why you want to keep people busy because when people are sitting at home doing nothing and they're locked in their houses, which they were in Australia, yeah. you know, that really had an impact on us um, and probably the divorce rate too, I imagine. Um, but look, let's get Dale in here because I'm sure he's got some questions for you, Chirag. <laughs> well, I'm terribly sad that we had Chirag on this podcast because he said, you know, you either become a tech guru or people manager, and we're none of those. So I think we're screwed. Mm, if that's done. Yeah, I think we're. What would you describe on. yourselves as? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to think about it. Yeah, come back to you, Chirag. Um, we'll come come for some advice on our CVs as well. But um, I just want to mention you, you guys are chatting about grit and resilience. One of the things I've started to do, and maybe not the first interview, but perhaps the second, if I'm a bit more serious about a candidate. And they've said, oh, they're willing to travel, whatever the case may be. I'll say, right, I want a face-to-face second interview with you. And there's a number of things you can tell when you talk to someone in person. You know, if they're willing to travel a little bit, do they have that, you know, that commitment, that loyalty, mm. perhaps, you know, because commitment, loyalty, grit, resilience, it kind of comes bundled together in, in a certain way. Um, but they're lo- looking them in the eye, right? And whether or not they they truly know what they're talking about, whether they're willing to hang around for a little bit longer, perhaps, or, you know, whatever the case may be, how they come dressed and presented, do they come early on time, how they greet body, you know, body, body, um, yeah. body posture, all, all the all those things that, you know, you, you subliminal messages that you pick up, um, nonverbal cues, I think you call it, Bill. Yeah. So, mm. So yeah, a good uh, a good incentive on that side actually um, f- from a hiring manager perspective. And one of the suggestions we've made is that you have the first interview virtually, and then the second interview, you almost are saying that we're putting to- we will put an offer to- together for you. So there's almost a provisional offer there. I appreciate it may be hard to come to an exact figure, but putting together a provisional offer subject to come and meet with the face to face. And the other thing that is mandatory now, you can't control this either, is that the, the ver- in the UK, the verification requirements for, mm. have changed now. So you need to see that, pers- that person and a copy of that passport face-to-face now. No longer can you just look at it across teams and have a look. So that's the incentive to say, look, we do need to meet face-to-face anyway to check your passport and you are who you are. Mm. Yeah, very good, very good points. Um, I know we're heading towards the end of the pod, but I want to talk about a topic you briefly brought up, but I think is incredibly important in the controls and the wider project management profession, and that is communication. We've touched on this a lot in previous episodes, but specifically the impacts on the types of communication. You met, you mentioned how some candidates, perhaps new candidates to the profession, are struggling over you know, Teams or Zoom to make an influence in the workplace, make a name for themselves, build their brand. How might those new to the profession listening to this influence the way people see them through communication? That might be verbal, written, all sorts of different types of communication. I think this is all related to what we've discussed earlier today. So we've touched on the quiet quitters doing the basics. So this situation is you are struggling and especially if you're a little bit of an introvert so hard to you know get involved in meetings be that person it's making that direct communications 
trying to get that face-to-face -face or virtual coffee with other stakeholders or senior stakeholders within your business, outside of your business, but on the same or in the projects, that's what's going to really help you. Um, if you're new to the industry, getting those contacts, asking for a bit of time, you know, it's five, 10 minutes, and that will always turn up, uh, you know, far more. We had a situation uh, last week at a networking event, there's two graduates there that turned up and they asked me, well, you're in recruitment, how, what do we do here? How do we go about a network? And they're brand new. And I said, I'm going to give you an example here. So I went over to a director and I said, hi, how are you doing? I hadn't spoken to this director I knew in about three years. These two have just joined Project Controls literally a week ago. What is your best advice? What should they be doing the first two years of their Project Controls career? The director spoke to them with passion for 15 minutes. And, you know, the learning they got in that period was fantastic. So nice. that's, that's a good example there. Now, that was in a face-to-face -face environment, but why not reach out, you know, to somebody who's been on that meeting, who's impressed you. And you can, you know, as you start off by, it's really impressed by what you said in this meeting, could we grab five minutes just to discuss that further? And this relates back to, I think our biggest takeaway of today has been, you know, initiating some sort of mentoring program. So my takeaway from that, from what you're saying, it's not so much how you communicate, it's just that you do. What, what, yeah, it's just do that something. you do, just, just, just start, yeah? Just, just be actively communicating. And as you do that, you'll hone in on your own communication skill, how you communicate best, and what works for you, what doesn't, because it doesn't always work for everyone, right? The, there's no vanilla, so this is what you do for communication and it works for everyone. But that's quite interesting because... As I say, well, as, as as we've spoken about before in the podcast, you know, the past two years, the pandemic has had a generation or two of folk new to the industry that doesn't actually really know what it's like to work physically together in the office, right? Yeah. We've had people enter the, the market and they have no idea the positives and the negatives of working together five days a week. Yeah, and, you, and we have to appreciate the graduates that have come through this stream and over the next two years, maybe, they will have started their university or have finished their university career degrees in a remote world. So they might not mm. have experienced that, that whole lifestyle experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, we're heading towards the end of the podcast and you've shared a lot uh, since we've last spoken. So thank you for that, Chirag. Uh, but I think the last time we had you, we didn't take you through our pop quiz fiver because we hadn't quite developed it yet. So are you ready and standing by for your, your pop quiz? As long as there's no technical questions, I'm all right. <laughs> How do you calculate SPR? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> number one, steak, seafood, or salad? Sorry? Steak, seafood, or salad? Oh, see seafood every day. Seafood every day. Nice. Question two, what are the three must-have behaviors you look for in successful teams? Collaboration, work ethic, and uh supporting each other's success are leaders born or made made interesting uh if you i'm, I'm select i'm pausing here because there's a whole host of questions and I'm, I'm selecting which ones to give you martin usually does this if you could go back to one moment in your life what would it be and why uh i think it'd actually be when my grand passed away so unfortunately passed away in kenya and i decided not to go and i think that's that's the biggest regret i've had number five which superpower would you choose to have for a day and why invisibility <laughs> i'd love to know what else, what else is going on at certain places i think I, i'd know what my wife would be saying about me but certain other people you know <laughs> i'd be interested to know what, what happens what's said behind closed doors oh brilliant i'm gonna throw in a question six chirag uh whiskey recommendation Mm. So recently, I just got this uh, Sontori, um, mm -hmm. is a good Amazon deal. However, my favourite is a Tobamori. Um, so I, you know, absolutely love a Tobamori. Nice, nice. And I'll add to that, I got a Yoichi, uh, which is a PT Japanese single malt, folks. So go out and uh, 
try that one. Look, Chirag, it's been amazing to spend the best part of an hour with you. Thanks for, again, allowing us to pick your brain and give us your insights on what's happening in the market today and, and potentially what what's to come. Before we let you go, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? No, thanks. If anyone wants to reach out, if they need any career advice or just, just general insights, what's happening, whether you're on the client side hiring or a candidate, just, just want to know anything. Um, you know, doors always open. Let's connect on LinkedIn and, and talk further. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Chirag. Val, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think I was meant to get back to you, Chirag, for a few things around recruiting in Australia, but we will, <laughs> we will eventually touch base. Uh, but the other things, as I said, mentoring and communication sounds good. Right. And I, I had something that was told to me once, uh, the limit of my language is the limit of my world. And I think that unlocked a lot of what I said and how I said it when I was working on my communication. So I'll leave the listeners with that. Thank you. Wow. Good thought to ponder on there. Thanks, Val. So folks, there you have it. That's all we have time for on this episode. But remember, before you go, if you like what you've heard, please do help us pay it forward by sharing a link to this episode on your favorite social media. Once again, a massive thank you to our guest, Mr. Chirag Shah. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Val, it's bye for now. Cheers. Thank you. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction. Not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant, you just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.